Thanks for watching today at wildwoodchurch.com. Now here's today's message. Good morning, Wildwood. Turn your Bibles, please, to Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 17. This morning, commentaries are divided over this passage, but where they're united, they're united on the fact that this is one of the most difficult to interpret and one of the most important. So wish me luck. And for all of those of you who heard my, my appeal last week when I said those that, 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 that read ahead get the most out of this, the object is not to come up here or to, to be here and be like, did Brian get it right? You know, uh, and, and, and like quiz me or something, okay? So I hope that, uh, because I'll be honest with you, this was a difficult passage to understand, but by the Lord's help, we will do it. Amen? All right, so this passage, Romans 5, 12 through 17, essentially gives us a commentary on Genesis 3. It basically helps us understand what happened in Genesis chapter 3, the fall of Adam. There we read of Adam's sin and of death and of their expulsion from uh, the Garden of Eden and the promise that it will not always be this way, that the Lord would intervene on our behalf and would make things right by sending the offspring of, of Eve to crush the serpent's head. Now, in the Old Testament and New Testament, all the authors uh, treat Adam as more than a m- metaphorical figure. I think there are people that, that want to, to act as though Adam was metaphorical. So he, he, repre- he, he sort of symbolizes the beginning of, of mankind. But that's, you're not going to find that in Scripture. You're not going to find that in Paul. You're not going to find that in Jesus. Uh, treating uh, Adam as if he's just a metaphorical figure. He's not a metaphorical figure. He's a historic figure. He really lived and he really is the beginning of mankind. God really created Adam out of the dirt. Like, how did he do that? Okay, yeah. So, but he's more than a historic figure. He, he is a historic figure, but he's more than that. He's also what we call the federal head of all mankind. Federal meaning representative, like federal government, representative government. Adam is our federal head. He represents all mankind. In fact, his name means mankind. He's the federal head, the representative of all of humanity. And in Adam's one sin, all humanity sinned and died. That's the bad news of the gospel. That in Adam, all was lost. That's the hard truth. Even if you and I never break a single written command, even if that was possible, and it's not, so I'll just let you off the hook, but even if it was possible for you and I never to violate a written command of God, you and I would still be under death and curse. Why? Because in Adam, our head, our federal head, our representative, our father, he sinned, and so did we. Now, some of you think, well, that's icky. It's not fair that Adam's sin gets imputed to me. That somehow this one man's sin gets imputed to me and counted into my account. Well, lest we throw away the whole gospel, we're not going to throw away imputation because there's another man whose action 
is imputed to all those whom he represents too. Anyone guess his name? Jesus. Yeah, so if you get rid of imputation, if you get rid of the doctrine of imputation, then brother and sister, you and I stand before God on our own merits. And none of us will do that and survive. So we can't throw away imputation, even if it doesn't seem fair that Adam sinned on our behalf, because Jesus obeyed on our behalf and won for us life and righteousness. Beth, I do have to ask you, can you set my, can you add eight minutes to my clock real quick? I think it reset earlier in the, when you reset the computer. Now, before we move on here, a brief word about the flow of the passage, okay? Now everyone's looking at the clock, like how much time exactly does Pastor Brian get here? <laughs> All right, a brief word about the flow of the passage here because uh, Paul is, is speaking, uh, speaking what, is, what we know as, as Romans and as Emmanuelis is, is writing it down. And so Paul is speaking and he, in, in, in this situation, he, se- he begins a sentence and doesn't finish it. And then takes a detour and then comes back to it. So in in chapter 5, verse 12, he begins a sentence that he doesn't finish. Then he takes a little bit of a detour in 13 and 14 to explain how sin was in the world before the law. And then he contrasts Adam and Jesus in verses, uh, what is it, 15 and 17, 15 and 17. And then he comes back to the thought from verse 12 in verse 18. All right, so listen. If you're married to a woman, you understand that sometimes conversations can can go different ways, right? Sometimes even when I'm preaching, I realize I've just just taken a rabbit trail. I've just, in mid-thought, just gone a different direction. Well, that's what happens here in Paul. So he starts a sentence and then shifts directions and then has to come back to it, all right? And yes, that was a big joke, but it is true, and you can't deny it. You cannot deny it. All right, verse, let, let's read here verses 12 through 17. Paul says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift uh, by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, Death reigned through that one man. Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you have given us your word and you have left, you have sent the Holy Spirit to dwell within us. The one who inspired the word dwells within us. So I'm confident that you will help us to make sense of this passage, and not only make sense of it, not only to know it, but also to be convicted by it and to submit to it and to obey. And I pray, Lord, that you be glorified in the preaching and the reception, the hearing of your word. In Jesus' name, amen.
Verse 12, therefore. All right, so see that word, therefore. Now look, you'll see it again in verse 18. Do you see, if you look down your Bible, you'll see verse 18, therefore. All right, now realize that in verse 12, he doesn't complete a thought. He says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. He doesn't commit, he doesn't complete the thought. Therefore, just as sin, we expect there to be a so then. Just as sin came into the world, we expect something. Now we see that in verse 18. In verse 18, we see, therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, that is a repeat of verse 12. Here's the concluding thought. So one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. You see that? So verse 18, verse 18 restates the beginning of verse 12 and then completes it. So verses 13 through 17 are a bit of an excursus, a bit of a detour. Now here, Paul is going to introduce to us, help us to understand how it is that death came into creation. Because death was not original to creation. God did not create for us to die. It was rather the punishment for sin. And sin entered the human experience through the disobedience of one man, Adam. And so death and sin, sin comes in through Adam and death through sin. But neither are limited to Adam. Neither death nor sin are limited to Adam. Why? It's spread, Paul says, to all man because all sinned. Daniel Doriani in his commentary argues that humans choose sin because they are sinful from birth. They have Adam's sinful nature. We're born with a sin nature. And he appeals to the corruption, the moral corruption of those beautiful little babies, right? So sweet and innocent, right? Come on, parents, we got to love our babies, right? But if you've had kids, you realize they're not sweet and innocent for very long. You can tell that there, there's a sin nature. Parents, you don't have to teach your kids to sin. They just do. They just figure it out all on their own. Why? Because we are born with a sin nature. Look at what David says in Psalm 51.5. He says, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. I was born in iniquity, in sin. And in sin did my mother conceive me. In other words, sin saturates the entire human experience. In God's design, he made it so that Adam would be the father of humanity. His name means mankind. In God's design, before the fall, God designed it so that Adam would be the father of all of humanity. And God created man to pass on to his offspring, his same essence. Any of you watch Bill Cosby's show back, back as a kid? Now, maybe it's not, it's not kosher to talk about that anymore, but before, before all the bad stuff, like when I was a kid and, and Bill Cosby's show was pretty innocent, he has a dream where he delivers a sub sandwich. Do you remember that? You know, he was a, he was a OBGYN and he had a dream that he was delivering, he was bringing forth a sub sandwich, okay? Well, why is that comical? Because we know that human beings produce their same kind. That's how God designed it. 
Man and woman come together, we produce our same kind. We pass on the essence of ourselves. We pass on our own nature. That's the natural law that God established in creation before the fall. The father passes on to the offspring. When Adam sinned, watch this, this is how the federal headship affects things. When Adam sinned, his nature was corrupted. The essence of who he is was corrupted and Eve. And together they produced mankind and passed along to them the sin nature, the corrupted nature. Therefore, Paul, uh, David can say, I was conceived in iniquity. I was brought forth in iniquity and sin to my mother conceived me. We call this federal headship. R.C. Sproul notes that this is the classic reform theology. He says that Adam was the federal head of the whole human race. What Adam did in the garden was not simply for himself, but for all those whom he represented. Jonathan Edwards argued that if the Bible never taught a universal fall, if the Bible never wrote down how it is that that we came into sin, then we would have to posit such an, an event. We would have to assume that something like this happened. If the Bible never told us, if Genesis 3 didn't exist, we would have to assume that that happened. Why? What else explains the universal nature of the corruption of man? Here's what we mean. If, if you and I, if every person born was given the full capacity to live perfectly or to not live perfectly, then wouldn't someone surely choose to be perfect from their birth? Surely someone, some person, at some point in time would say, I want to be perfect. And yet, we all know that that has never happened. Romans 3.23 tells us, Paul says in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That is without exception, There's not a single person to ever live except Jesus, and we'll get to him in just a second, and that's critical. His obedience, his perfection imputed to us is the gospel, but before we get there, we have to recognize that none of us has the capacity to be perfect, and why is that? Because Adam's fallen nature was passed on to us. Now, when Paul says all sinned, there in verse 12, all sinned, he used the the, the verb there, sinned, in the aorist tense, meaning it was a completed act. In one point in time, it was a completed act. As opposed to a principle, all sin. Death spread to all men because all sinned. Sin, like a principle, like what we just read in Romans 3.23, that we all know we do it, all sin. No, he says all sinned, as in a completed act. In other words, when Adam sinned, he did that on behalf of all humanity. Now, that may not be fair, we, we, or we may not like that. It may not meet with our sensibilities. But once again, if we throw away this thing called imputation, then we throw away the imputation of Christ's righteousness. Anyone want to do that? What's, what, what is less fair? Now, this is free chicken, but what's less fair? You like that free chicken stuff. What is less fair? Being imputed with 
the sin of Adam, our forefather, who has passed on to us his nature, or the imputed righteousness of Christ by faith alone? Which of those is less fair, right? Being imputed righteous, being made righteous in Christ. That's less fair on a divine justice scale. But all have sinned, all sinned. Now, with that in mind, let's move here to the detour, all right? So, because that, that, that verse 12 is the theme for all of these next 10 verses that's going to take us up to the end of the, the section on justification, right? We, we've broken Romans down into five themes, and, and right now we're in the justification theme, and that's coming to an end, and we're about to move on to sanctification. So this idea that, that sin came in the world through one man, and, and, and because of sin also came death for all men. And now he's going to take a detour here in verse 13 and 14. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Now, if you're a critical thinker, you know, you, you, you seek to understand, you must ask the question, what does it mean that sin is not counted where there is no law? Does that mean that for the first 2,500 years, there was no law, there was no written code, no written command, that God just said, oh, you do what you want and, and there's no punishment and there's no consequences for that? Is that what Paul means, that sin is not counted, that it, that it doesn't count at all for 2,500 years? Maybe it means that there was no sin in the world for 2,500 years. Well, think about just from the top of my head, Pharaoh, who had it in his heart to slaughter all of the infants of the Jews, infanticide. That's evil. Think about how, how Israel even got to Egypt. Joseph, his brothers, beat him, threw him in a well, and in mercy and compassion sold him as a slave to Egypt. That's evil. Think about the sexual perversion of Sodom and Gomorrah. Think about the pride of the people of the Tower of Babel. Think about the debauchery in the days of Noah. Think about Cain who killed his brother Abel. There was no shortage of wickedness in the world before the law was given. For 2,500 years, people sinned against the law. Or they sinned against God's holy standard even if they did not understand, even if there was no direct commandment broken. But was it not counted? Did, was, was God indifferent to the sin of man? Well, the Noahic flood suggests no, God was not indifferent to man's wickedness. And the plagues on Egypt suggest no, God is not indifferent to the wickedness of man. And the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah suggests that God was not indifferent to the wickedness of man, even before the law was given. Paul explains that while the sins of those who lived during that 2,500-year period before the law was given, they, though they never heard the law, they never understood the written commands of God, nevertheless, they were still culpable. Why? Well, here's what Paul says. Death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. So how did Adam sin? 
What was Adam's sin? Adam's sin was that God told him clearly, do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Here's the one commandment. And Adam deliberately, willfully, knowingly violated that command. He broke that commandment of God. But just because people who live between Adam and Moses, and why is Moses relevant here? What did Moses do? He received the law, the written standards of God, and brought them to Egypt, uh, brought them to the people of Israel. Even those that did not have the written law were not exempt from judgment. Paul made it clear in Romans 2.12. Look at what it says. For all who have sinned without the law, sinned, not all who have lived without the law, all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. So Paul's point here is that even if there was not a violation of a direct commandment, all mankind is under the curse of sin and death. The purpose of the law was not to set up a principle of obedience or punishment, nor was it to establish a means of us becoming righteous or earning our way into God's kingdom. What was the purpose of the law? It's to reveal how jacked up we are. It's to reveal how far our natural inclinations are from God's holiness. That's the purpose of the law. In one of the commentaries, I read of a story of Chuck Swindoll, very faithful, pretty famous uh, pastor. When he was a boy, he had a, 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 mailed, a, a newspaper delivery job like many boys in his generation ride his bicycle through the town and, and throw newspapers. And he recalled a, a, one section of his route where there was a corner lot. And it was easier for him because, you know, we always are looking for shortcuts. We're always looking for a way to be more efficient, right? We actually hire people uh, to, to make things more efficient, right? But we look for ways to make our lives easier. And, and so did Chuck Swindoll. And he figured that if he just cut through the man's yard, that it would save him half a second, Right? And, and half a second added up over the course of time might be enough to, I don't know, watch another episode of Leave it to Beaver. I don't know. But he cut the corner so much that he wore a path through the grass. Now, if you own a home, if you care for your lawn, you're cringing inside. You know what I'm talking about, right? And, and so here's, here's this path that gets cut across this man's yard. Now, is that wrong or is that right? inherently. Is it wrong or right? It's wrong. It's a trespass. You're going across someone else's property and you're damaging that property. It's wrong. No one has to tell you that's wrong. Chuck knew that that was wrong and yet he still did it. But one morning he rides out to that route and here's a sign in the yard and the sign says, stay off the grass. No bikes. Chuck saw the sign, did the same thing, rode, his, rode across the path right into the man that owned the property and put the sign out. Now, did the sign appearing on that day make what Chuck was doing wrong? No. But now it brought into stark contrast that what he's doing is not right. It was wrong the whole time, and Chuck knew it. 
But now he's guilty of violating, before he was guilty of the trespass, now he's, viola- he's guilty of, of violating the written rule that is clear. This is the same thing, or it's, it's a similar thing that Paul is talking about here, that although he was always guilty, now he's guilty of deliberately violating the trespass. That is what Adam was guilty of. The sign was there, the, the one commandment, don't do this, and he did that. Now, after Adam, there was no written commandments until Moses, and yet Paul's point is they were still culpable. And how do we know they were culpable? Because death reigned from Adam to Moses. And Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. So we know that in God's eyes, in that 2,500-year period, even without the law, that these people were guilty of violating his standard. Now, as I wrestled with this, this text, I, I, I thought, you know, we could probably get wrapped around the axles about how God viewed other people's sin. You know, we could, we could pontificate and speculate about how God saw those people in, in that 2,500 year period. I don't think we have to. I think that, that hail, fire, and brimstone raining down on Sodom and Gomorrah and, a, and, and an earthwide, a, a, a global flood uh, killing all mankind except Noah is all the evidence we need that God was not pleased. But here's the deal. You and I have the law. You and I have the gospel. And so if we're going to get wrapped up about how God feels about people sinning, we probably need to not focus so much on people that lived 4,000 years ago and focus more on us, right? You and I have access to the law of God, and they're still culpable, even though they didn't have it, how much more so are we, right? The point is that no one has an excuse, Even those who never heard the law, death reigns because their identity, who they were, was corrupt and fallen. They were Adam's offspring. Now, I want you to watch what Paul does here. He's going to introduce the counterpart to Adam, a new Adam. And with the counterpart uh, to Adam, we also see the counterpart to sin and death. Look at the verse uh, 14, the second part of verse 14. Adam was a type of the one who was to come. So Paul is going to compare the one man Adam to the one man Jesus Christ. The one man Adam did something that affected all of those whom he represents. And in the same way, the other man, Jesus, did something that affected all of those whom he represents. Adam was a type or a counterpart of Christ because each one of them serves as a head of those whom they represent. So you hear this all the time. There are only two types of people in the world. Now, there's a million ways to classify two types of people, but in this way, there's two types of people. You're either in Adam or you're in Christ. You're you're either represented by Adam and with it the death and the sin and the destruction and the judgment, or you're in Christ and represented by Christ in obedience and righteousness and peace and life. There are only two types of people. Those who have Adam as their head and those who have Christ as their righteous head. Verse 15, but the free gift is not like the trespass, 
For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Now, no one enters the world spiritually neutral. I think we've already covered that. All sinned, that we were born in iniquity, we were brought forth in in sin. No one enters the world spiritually neutral. We enter the world dead in sin. But something happens in Christ. There's, that's why Jesus says you must be born again. You're born in sin when you enter the world. In order to enter the kingdom, you must be born again. So something happens when we are born again. There's a great reversal that happens in Christ. Christ, as our federal head, is much more powerful to win back for us life than Adam could win for us death. Praise the Lord for that, right? Adam, the first man, messed it up for everybody. But in Christ, there's a great reversal. And no matter what Adam secured for us, in Christ, we have life and we have peace with God. Life in Christ overcomes and surpasses death in Adam. And this is all, according to Paul, according to the New Testament, according to the gospel, 100% free grace. It's a gift. It's given to us. Right? Is that fair? Like we sin in Adam and we earn the wage. Well, that's not fair. That doesn't seem fair. And then instead, we get the free gift of righteousness in Christ. Well, yeah, that, that, that seems fair. No, that's not fair. It's not fair. It's wonderful. Praise the Lord that he's not fair towards us. Amen? All right. The one man, Adam, introduced sin and death, but the grace of God is given to us in abundance through the one man, Jesus Christ. Now, verse 16. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. So Doriani says that God could have given his final word. God's final word. right? God gets the final word, right? We all agree on that? Because he's God. And God's final word could have simply been, on the basis of many trespasses, condemned. Everybody. On the basis of the many trespasses, you are condemned. Doriani says that could have been what God said. Instead, what we get is justified through the free gift of Jesus' righteousness. It makes sense to us. We can wrap our heads around the idea that in Adam, the one man's sin casts us into ruination, into condemnation, into judgment, into death. We can get that. That meets with with a sense of justice. What doesn't meet with a sense of justice, what doesn't compute, is that in Christ, we are given righteousness that we never earned. That, according to C.E.B. Cranfield, is the miracle of miracles, utterly beyond human comprehension. Is that how you understand the gospel? Utterly beyond human comprehension? That this is the grace of God given to you, the salvation that you, that you cling to? I think Paul wants us to wrestle with this. 
Guys, again, we're about to move into sanctification. I'm so ready to put that sign in its proper order. Right? Sin, justification, sanctification. I'm ready to switch them. But right now we're on justification for two more weeks. This week and next week. Then the foundation is laid. And then we get into now Christian live circumspect from the world. Obey Jesus now that you have been justified. Paul has labored for two chapters to get us to this point where now I, I sense we're transitioning, but, he, but the, the obedience in sanctification is rooted and founded upon the confidence of our justification, knowing that it is by faith that we are saved. It is not our own works. It is not our own goodness. It is not our commitment to bring, to, to, to come to church and bring our Bibles and to tithe and to stop cursing and stop smoking. But rather, it is faith in Jesus Christ and trusting and hoping only in his righteousness. And then on that foundation, then we begin to build obedience. And we begin to live according to the spirit and not according to the flesh. Verse 17. For if because of one man's trespass, death death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Do you realize that Adam was created to reign over the earth, to have dominion? He said, be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth, to bring order to the earth that was chaos. I, I drive around and I see people doing yard work. And, and yesterday I had this idea, I had this thought. You know, I see people building onto their homes and, and, and they're, they're manicuring their lawn or they're, they're pulling out uh, weeds or they're cutting down overgrowth trees. And I thought, that's what we were called to do, subdue the earth, bring order and beauty out of that which is chaos. But because of his sin, because of his sin, we get weeds in our gardens. But because of his sin, death reigns over us. We were created to have dominion over the earth, but because of sin, death reigns over us. But in Christ, something is restored. Life is restored. Paul says that we would reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. What we lost in the garden, what Adam lost in the garden, life. What was lost in the garden is restored to us in Christ. And we are now made to reign in life through Jesus Christ. Because we have received the abundant gift of God's grace and his righteousness. There's identity at stake here, folks. We must grapple, we must understand who we are in Christ. Something has changed in my heart. Jesus gave me his righteousness. I stand righteous before God and he wants me to reign in life and not allow death to reign over me anymore. And you, brother and sister, in Christ, reign in life. 
Now, perhaps you this morning came in here thinking, I don't know enough Latin. Maybe Pastor Brian will bless us with a lesson in Latin. Have no fear. I aim to please. The early church father, Augustine, coined what is known as the, four state, the fourfold state of man. And he, and he coined these, these, these phrases in Latin. I'll do the best I can. Before the fall, before the fall, Adam and Eve possessed posse picari and posse non picari. Now let's break these words down. If you've, ever ha- if, if you've ever said something is impeccable, you mean it's what? It's perfect. So, so peccable or, or impeccable has that root word picari, which is sin. Posse means the possibility, the ability, the capacity. We are able. So Augustine says that before the fall, Adam and Eve possessed the ability to sin and the ability not to sin. And the fact that they did sin proves that. God told them not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which means that they have the capacity to obey that and to not sin. But they did sin, which means they had the capacity to sin. So they had these two natures. They had these two states. They could sin or they could not sin. They had that capacity. And because they had that capacity before the fall, they also had posse mori and posse non mori. Mori meaning like mortal, morbid, mortuary, death. So they had the capacity to sin or not sin, and they had the capacity to die or not die. Now, it's important for us to know that Adam and Eve did not have immortality. Why did God move them out of the Garden of Eden? Because if they stayed in the Garden of Eden and with access to the tree of life, they would live forever. So it's not that they had immortality. They were reliant upon the tree of life. God gave them the ability. They had the capacity to not die with access to the tree of life, but that access was cut off and they died because they had the ability or the capacity to die or to not die. Now in heaven, what we long for, the glory when we are fully glorified, when we are with Jesus we have non-posse picari and non-posse mori, which means what? We have the inability to sin and the inability to die. Praise the Lord, that's our hope in heaven. But in the, in the meantime, in the life of a Christian here on earth, while we do not have the posse non mori, the capacity not to die because the tree of life is gone, we have had restored posse non picari, the ability not to sin. Now, this is very different from saying we have non posse picari, the inability to sin. No, what was restored is the ability not to sin. You have death and you have life. And death is associated with sin and life is associated with righteousness. And what do we get in Jesus Christ? Righteousness and life. Look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. 
He says, God is faithful. So he begins this, what we're about to read, he, he, he begins the assertion on the basis that God is faithful. God doesn't change. So we're going we're gonna to use that as our foundation. He says, God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But when the temptation, or with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So in every moment of every day, when you are tempted to sin, you can be sure that because God is faithful, that he also provides a way for you to escape. Paul says in Galatians 5.16, but I say walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. He doesn't say, I say walk by the spirit and, and, and you may not gratify the desires of the spirit of the flesh. No, it says, if you walk by the spirit every day, you wake up and you say, Lord, I want to honor you. I want to walk by the spirit. Holy spirit. Here I am. Use me for your glory. Then every moment of every day, we can anticipate that when a temptation comes, that there's a way out and that we could go through our day, not sinning against the Lord. That has been restored to us. That is what it means to reign in life. Look at what Peter says. He says, as obedient children, once again, this is an identity thing. Do you know who you are? Do you believe that you have been made new? Do you believe that you have been given new life in Christ? Do you believe that you have been buried with Christ and raised to walk in newness of life? Do you believe that you were dead in sin and made alive in Christ? Do you believe that you were adopted into the family of God? As obedient children... Knowing who you are, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. So like a dog returns to its vomit, so a man goes back to his sin. Now, would it be former ignorance if something had not changed? But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. See, this is where I get back to that, that, that question about, well, what does it mean that we're, where there is no law, sin's not counted? Like, what, ha, what about those 2,500 years? You know, let's do a deep dive on that. Let's focus on figuring out what does it mean for Noah and, and for all these others and, and Pharaoh who didn't have the law. And Peter's like, you are children of God and you have the law and you have the gospel and God is holy and you've been made righteous and you have the capacity not to sin today. And if you'll walk by the Spirit, then you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. And so many of us go throughout our lives believing the lie of the devil that death still reigns over you. That, that, that death still has dominion over you. Now look, you're going to die physically unless Jesus comes back because we don't have access to the tree of life. If we had access to the tree of life, we would all live forever. That's why he removed Adam and Eve from the garden, even in their fallen state. They had access because what God created, he created perfectly, and he created enough to sustain us. So we don't have access to that, so we're going to die physically. But in this life, in Christ, death has been defeated, amen? Where, O oh victory, where, O oh death, is your sting? Where is your victory? You have life and you're called to reign in life. Not just limp through while death is dominating you. 
death and sin, life and righteousness. You have been given, you have been restored. Pasi non pecari. The capacity not to sin. So brother and sister, let's bring it down to brass tacks here. If you sin, why have you sinned? Because you chose to sin. Because you wanted to sin. Because you thought, I'm gonna do something my way instead of God's way. Because I, like Adam, I I, I wanna choose what is right and what is wrong. I wanna be the one that that defines my life. I wanna be the one that decides what is right and good in this situation. I want to please myself. That is why you sin, brother. Because you choose to sin if you're in Christ. If you're not in Christ, if you're in Adam, why do you sin? Because that's your nature, that's who you are. And you don't have the capacity not to sin. But if you're in Christ, then you sin because you want to sin. Because you desire sin. And let me just, let me just make this crystal clear. I am right there with you. I do not stand here before you saying, if you would just be like me, I haven't sinned in 15 years. Well, Kelly would tell you that, but, but she's not here to defend it or roll her eyes. But look, death and life, sin and righteousness, death led to, or sin led to death and death leads to sin and sin leads to death and death leads to sin, right? And we have been taken out of this process, out of this crazy cycle, and we have been given life and presented the opportunity to understand what Jesus means, that I, have, I, I came to give life and life abundant. But we get, we get into that tangle with the devil. And he says, well, did God really say? Is that really wrong? If God was so loving, then he would want you to be happy. He would want you to do the things your way. And so we do things our way. And that's called sin. And sin leads to death and death leads to sin. But you and I have been brought out of that cycle and given the option to take the off-ramp and to choose life. Now, one of the things that the Lord gives to us, not only the, the word of God, the law, the gospel, the standard, not only does he give us the Holy Spirit, he also gives us each other. You and I cannot live an obedient Christian life without one another, without the church. Do you know that? We are saved individually but we are saved into community. This is why we believe that Christians ought to be meaningfully connected to a local body of Christ. We call it partnership, membership. You're a member of a body. The way my pinky is a member of my body. It's just the way it goes. When we're saved into into Christ, we're saved into a body and we are called to walk together and hold each other accountable. One of our women gave me permission to share this story. Recently, she was out of town and, and she got a, a small cut in her, in, her, in, her fa- in her finger. You know, have you, anyone, have you ever had a uh, paper cut? You know, it hurts, but for the most part, what do you do with it? I mean, if you're me, you get babied by your wife. <laughs> She's a beautiful woman. But most of us, what do we do? Most of us, we just ignore it. Right, we just, we, we just move on with our day. We, we, we grin and bear it. We, oh man, that stinks. And then we move on. And that's what she did. And, and she was doing some kind of a, you know, cleaning or something. And she got her finger cut and she kept cleaning, kept cleaning. And, and then the next day she noticed that it was beginning to swell up. 
what happened? You got an infection. She, that, that cut, which was really nothing. I mean, it really wasn't a big deal, but it got, but it got infected. And like the industrious woman that she is, she kept working and, and kept doing what she was there to do and kept on with her project. And the next day, now she can't bend her fingers because the infection has spread to her whole hand. And then finally, after a couple of days, she realizes that the infection has moved up her arm and toward her heart. And she goes to the emergency room to deal with the infection when she should have dealt with it properly when it was just a little cut, right? And we talked about this story and I'm, I'm grateful that she's healed and everything's fine. And she said, this is what it's like when we, when we have sin in our life that we don't deal with. You know, you and I need each other. We, we were saved individually, but we were saved into community. There's, there's a reality. I cannot be faithful to the Lord without you and you can't be faithful to the Lord without me. We need each other to call out sin and we need each other to deal with offenses. So many times I believe that we allow death to reign over us individually and corporately because we carry a spirit of offense. Someone has sinned against me. Someone has wronged me. Someone has done something I don't like. Now, James says, love covers a multitude of sins. Probably 90% of the things that you're dealing with in life are just personality. You're a sinner and they're a sinner and you don't like each other and you just need to love them anyway and not bring it up and just get over it. But for those that you can't get over, now you have a, now you have a decision to make. There are three things that I think people do. Two, allow death to reign over them and other people and one, reigns in life. The first is you isolate and you say, you know what? I'm not going to deal with this offense. I'm not going to deal with this sin because it's hard to go to someone and tell them that they've offended me, sinned against me and to lay out the facts. It's easier to feel offended. It's justifying to feel offended and they isolate. The problem is that we were made for community and so it doesn't say isolated for very long. So then what happens? We began to gossip. We got, I got to express this somehow. I've got to talk about this with someone. And so I go and bend the ear of someone. A root of bitterness has taken up into my heart. And I'm going to go and gossip and sin against the Lord by placing that root of bitterness in their heart too. And, and, and by changing how this other person thinks about the person that has offended me that I haven't even gone to yet, right? And what happens? We are a body. And when the finger gets infected, it's not long before the hand swells up. And if it's not dealt with, it's not long before the arm gets amputated or before the infection reaches the heart and brings death to the body. Brother and sister, we... Do you understand that when you choose to do something the other way, because Jesus has been clear, right? What, what is the way that Jesus wants us to deal with offense in the body? He says, go to that person directly and in love, tell them the offense. In love, tell them how they have wronged you. 
Present the facts and let the facts speak for themselves. And if you're wrong, get over it. If they're wrong, they should repent. But that's how Jesus says we ought to do it. But look, death reigns when we say, you know what, that's too hard to go to the person. Instead, I'm going to go to everyone else that I can bend their ear. And I'm going to gossip and I'm going to sin against the Lord myself. Instead of dealing with the sin of my brother or sister in the righteous way and let life reign. Listen, when there is a group of people, a family, a church, a friend group that keeps very short lists and says, you know what, man, I love you, but when you said this, it made me feel this way and it's not emotionally charged and it's not vengeful, there is community there. There's fellowship there because there's life there. But when there's a community that allows root of bitterness, whether it's a family, friend group, church, whatever, office, when there's a root of bitterness that won't be dealt with, with it, when there is an infection in the body, do you think life is reigning or death? Folks, come on. Wildwood is mo- uh, God is moving in Wildwood Church. And because he's moving in Wildwood Church, we know that the enemy has his eyes on us, has his target on us. And, and we have a choice to either reign in life through Jesus Christ by dealing with our sin, the posse non peccari, the ability not to sin. Every moment we have the ability not to sin. Or we want to let death reign over us by harboring sin and, and refusing to deal with our own sin and the sins of other people. Imagine, church, what the Lord will do when a church says we will reign in life through Jesus Christ. And we will, we will at every moment deal with our own sin and the sins of those that we love the way that Jesus told us to do it. Amen? Amen. Father, we love you. We thank you for Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Oh, Father, I pray that you help us, Lord, to just say yes to what you asked us to do, to have courage, to, let, to, to reign in life through Jesus Christ instead of letting death reign over us in Adam. Lord, I pray that you help us to understand who we are as obedient children, adopted into the family of God, being made right with with you through the righteousness of Jesus. Help us, Lord, to choose this day life. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks so much for watching online. I hope that this message has inspired you to greater faith, has encouraged you, maybe convicted or challenged you. We're grateful to be able to provide this content to you online live and on demand. If you haven't done so already, follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook, subscribe to us on YouTube so that we can get this content right to you as soon as we upload it. But you know, we believe that as a follower of Jesus Christ, that you need the body of Christ. You need the local church. And so if you're in the Quad Cities, let me invite you to personally join us in person for our gatherings on Sundays at 9 a.m. and 1040. If you're not in the Quad Cities, I wanna encourage you to go find a local church that teaches the Bible, that serves the community, that loves Jesus, that gives grace. Well, hey, thanks again for watching, and we hope that you were blessed.